When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to What the Truck. Are you ready to truck in? Welcome to your Nooner with Dooner. What is going on? We coming up? We popping up? Are we live? Please advise. What's... Okay, can we drop the picture? Okay. Hey, everybody. Sorry, we're going to drop this picture in a minute. I think the uh, the graphics computer, it's Friday the 13th, and I think it just crapped out on us the second that we were trying to go live on air. But we're up here now. It is Friday the 13th. Enjoy it. We won't have another one until October of 2018. Or don't enjoy it if there's going to be gremlins in the system like there is today. Uh, it's not a good morning, though, for... Let's see here. I'm sorry. It's got a slack in the back. Let's make sure everything is cool. Greg Miller says, uh, all good. Okay, so we'll have Greg Miller up in just a second. Great. They just fixed the system. Great job, guys. Great recovery. Okay, this is a bad morning, though. This is bad news if you're a flex porter. Uh, Here's a blog that... Leatherface, you're going to have to shut up. Hold on a second. He's going crazy. We're already off the rails too soon. All right, let's take a look at this blog post from Ryan Peterson before we jump into things. He put this out yesterday. He said, team, today I have a difficult decision to share. We will reduce the size of our global team by approximately 20% with the process starting tomorrow, which is today. He put this out yesterday, October 13th. Uh, departure support for flex borders will vary by geography. For U.S. employees, you're going to get nine weeks of severance, two months extended health care through the end of the year, and immigration support. They're also maintaining a small team of dedicated rep- recruiters to help Flexport employees with their next step. He says, to those of you who are leaving, thank you again for everything that you have done. I hope that your experience in this company will help you as you pursue your next steps in your career. He says they have more than $1 billion in net cash following this change. Flexport is now in a great position to take advantage of the opportunities in front of them to return to profitability as soon as next year. That's all on Flexport.com. You can check it out if you're one of the impacted employees or if you're listening right now and you need some employees, there's going to be a lot of Flexporters out there on the market. Please lend some assistance to them all. On today's show, we've got an amazing episode today. There's going to be a lot of good news. There's going to be a lot of bad news. But one of the, the, one of the coolest things we're covering today is I have DHL on and they are coming on with the Columbus Zoo to talk about rehabbing and relocating manatees. They took about eight manatees from uh, one location to the other. They have specialized containers. We'll get into the logistics of it, how the whole rehab program works. We're going to start the show off talking to Freightways' Greg Miller. He's going to look at Global Shipping's new Flashpoint Israel, big war going on. We all saw what happened over the weekend. Terrible situation that continues to ex- uh, escalate. We're going to see how shipping executives are viewing this, though. We have AIT Worldwide Logistics, Angela Mancuso. She's discussing the hiring market for freight forwarders. What's going on there? I caught up with her about a year ago. We talked about it. We'll see what has changed, especially as the market has evolved. We also have F-Staff founder and CEO Justin Clark. He's going to talk about the business of placing drivers. He built a company. He's been running it for over 20 years now. He's going to talk about what the hiring market for drivers look like. Plus, we have a couple of company shutdowns. We got a port tour. We got how not to deal with a flat tire and much more. So let's tip the band. Then we'll get over to Greg Miller. Looking for a new adventure? Take the next step on your career journey with AIT Worldwide Logistics. When you join their growing team, you'll collaborate with expert colleagues around the world to create innovative solutions backed by world-class customer service. If you're ready to push the supply chain envelope, your next adventure is waiting. Just visit the career section over at AIT Worldwide. Learn more. Apply today. Start Q4 with a new job. Start Q1 with a new job in this market. But now, let's talk to Greg Miller, senior editor at Freightwaves. And Greg, I just read something from uh, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO, Jamie Diamond, said uh, the war in Ukraine compounded by last week's attacks on Israel may have far-reaching impacts on energy and food markets, global trade, and geopolitical relationships. This may be the most dangerous time the world has seen in decades. Yeah, I mean, he's right. I mean, if you if you think about it, there's just so much going on right now in terms of disruptions and geopolitics. And, you know, unfortunately, in shipping, uh, we see these uh, geopolitical tragedies, wars, um, pandemics, 
uh, all these things where there's death and human suffering. And a lot of times, uh, you know, this is actually positive for shipping rates, uh, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately for... Uh, so when these things happen, uh, shipping executives and shipping analysts and shipping journalists are, are in a situation where you're looking at, you know, some sort of human tragedy like what we have going in Israel. And, uh, you know, it's it's their job to say, well, how does this affect our market and how does, the, does this affect our rates? And so they're looking at what happened uh, this weekend and extrapolating out. And there's a couple different w- ways to look at it. You can look at it, you know, what's the short-term effect, what's happening right now if uh, this stays inside of Israel's borders and what happens if this escalates into uh, a regional conflict, which is a whole different ballgame. Wow. And, you know, we're talking about a region there with some trade lanes, you know, for example, the Suez Canal, we all learned about that. Well, you all learned about it if you're not, you know, deep, head deep in shipping when the uh, when the Ever Given got stuck within it. And I was reading your report about the flashpoint and the conflict and how executives were looking at this. And that waterway is one of the areas that they're looking at. Why, why is that? What is the geopolitical situation here that would impact the Strait of Hormuz and the Suez Canal? Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the region, you have two uh, sort of ch- shipping choke points that are right there. Number one is the Suez Canal, um, you know, in Egypt, and number two would be the Strait of Hormuz off of Iran. And, you know, the only reason to look at the uh, Suez Canal is the fact that historically uh, there has been, you know, two incidents where the canal has closed because of military action involving Israel. I mean, number one in, in 1956 for about six months, and number and the second one was I guess that was in uh, 67 to 75 for eight years. So, you know, the relationship between Israel and Egypt is much different now. But the fact is, it did happen before. So you have to sort of think about it uh, again. And I mean, just for an example on shipping, uh, the the first one, 1956, if you think of who's the most famous shipping tycoon ever, that would be Aristotle Onassis. Well, back then, he uh, just received a fleet of tankers that he was going to put in service for Saudi Arabia. Saudi pulled out of the deal, and suddenly he had a fleet of tankers with nothing to do. He was going to go bust. But then there was this war, uh, and the canal was closed. Uh, the tankers uh, suddenly, uh, tanker rates surged. Tankers had to go around Africa. Uh, ton mile demand increased, um, you know, volume multiplied by distance. He made a fortune, um, married Jackie, and now everyone knows Aristotle Onassis' name. So, you know, it can have an effect. Uh, and if you think about it on the container side, you know, it's possible that the container ships could have to go around Africa, uh, although there are, you know, obviously many container ships and that can easily be done. And, as, and there are container ships already going around Africa, Africa because there are just too many container ships in the world and they're trying to you know, uh, plug more ships into the strings. So we're looking at uh, um, the Suez Canal simply because of uh, the vicinity. Uh, The real problem for the world uh, is is the Strait of Hormuz because the Suez Canal is sort of what you can consider sort of an an open um, choke point. You can go around it. The Strait of Hormuz is more of what would be called a closed choke point. If that closes, everything behind it gets stuck. Now, Zim is an Israeli carrier, right? There were some reports in the middle of the week, and I think it was actually Flexport's Ryan Peterson who had tweeted out that there was going to be scheduled disruptions, but then he posted an update that said Zim is saying that they're not pulling any container ships in their global rotations. Flexport customers and others putting cargo on Zim ships should not expect any service issues. Is that still the case? I mean, this is this is a moving, obviously developing situation, and if you're watching the news today, um, it's escalating over there. Lebanese Army is now involved. Yeah, I mean, I saw that tweet, and that's just yet another example of, uh, you know, if you're on social media, especially if you're in a position where people are watching you, you really need to think through these things before you put them out there. If you just think about this logically, uh, Zim has a fleet of about 130 uh, leased container ships, plus 16 car carriers and railroad vessels. Uh, You know, Israel uh, has a population of about 9 million, uh, a little bit over the population of New York City. The idea that that Zim's entire fleet would somehow be needed is ludicrous. Uh, Zim, uh, as a company, the Israeli government has what's called a golden share or a special share in in that company, uh, which means uh, no one is ever going to buy Zim. Uh, And it also means that the Israeli government in times of emergency can requisition what it needs from Zim. Um, And so, you know, if you think about the Roro vessels that bring heavy equipment, I mean, they can carry things like, and if they have heavy, heavy Roros, they can carry things like tanks and, and helicopters uh, in sea lift position. So it's possible that, uh, um, you know, the IDF could use some of Zim's uh, Roro capacity. And, 
you know, if it needs to put uh, missiles or ammo, uh, those go in containers and it can go into the container services there. But it's not really going to affect, uh, you know, the container shipping world in general. What's probably more likely is that Zim has over, you know, their, their headquarters in Haifa, they have over 800 employees that are in Israel, many of which are under the age of 40. And those people will, uh, many of those people will be into the military reserves. So they're going to be, you know, you know, many of its employees will have to go into service and just the company in general. I mean, the, the country is under attack. They're going to be heavily focused on, on, on what's going on there uh, as opposed to, you know, shipping. And I mean, if you think of the CEO of Zim, Eli Glickman, he's a former military guy. He used to be a commander in uh, the Israel's equivalent of the Navy SEALs. So it's not really effect on uh, the fleets. It's an effect on the company in terms of its focus, but it's not going to affect the overall market. Greg, thank you so much for your insight today and what's going on. Obviously, this awful conflict that's going on over there that's only getting worse. I know that you'll be on top of it. You can find Greg Miller's work on Freight Waves. Either just Google Greg Miller Freight Waves or look on Freight Waves. He's usually in the top headlines anyway. Greg, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for keeping us abreast on what's going on in this very sensitive situation. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Greg. Um, take it easy, everyone. Hey. If you're out there too, just 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 be safe, everybody. That that now we're in two wars, and uh, as you heard from that J.P. Morgan thing, that second one doesn't sound like it's very priced in either. Meanwhile, here's something a little bit more pleasant, though. Let's take a look at a port here. This is the port of Kopor in Slovenia. This uh, they have over 1,600 sea ships that stop in here. An annual cargo container volume of over 1 million TEUs, passenger traffic of over 65,000 passengers, annual revenue of over 137 million pounds. Although, that's only from 2013. That's, I don't know why haven't they have an update of these stats in over 10 years. They run over 12 specialized terminals over here, everything from row-row terminals, car terminals, general cargo terminals, fruit, timber, uh, cereals and fodder, aluminum, European energy, liquid cargoes, livestock, and they've even got a passenger terminal. Looks great. Amazing drone work, too. If you're at a port out there and you take some work like this, send this my way. All right, let's find out what hiring is like. We started the show talking about a giant workforce reduction over at Flexport. Does that mean the entire market is bad? Does that mean there's no place for freight forwarders? We'll find out. Angela Mancuso is here, Chief Human Resource Officer from AIT Worldwide Logistics. Hi, Angela. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I mean, look, on a show like this, we cover so much news. I think that the perception about a lot of people must have out there is that this is a terrible market. It's a tough time to be an employee. It's a tough time. Everything is really, really tough. I remember we spoke a year ago and you were saying the tough part a year ago was actually kind of nailing employees down. We were still in a sort of very liquid market for employees and you would have no shows and uh, people would get offers and not show up. And that kind of thing would, had happened. Is 2020 like that? Have we evolved in the past year? Well, I think we're still having a hard time finding people in certain roles for sure. Um, when they do come on board, we're seeing kind of an increase in new hire turnover, especially with some of our Gen Z population, which is which is your younger population, where they're just not staying as long as, as we would like to see. Um, on the, on the flip side of that, though, I think we're seeing a lot more focus in the industry on roles in IT, customer service, sustainability. You know, there's been a lot of companies in the news with cyber attacks. So I think seeing that focus in the industry with, with focus on technology and cybersecurity and what are we doing from an environmental perspective internally to kind of really reshape um, the industry and the space that we're in. I think we're, we're definitely seeing more opportunities there um, in recruiting. But, um, you know, we still have an opportunity, I think, in those transport and warehouse roles um, to find top talent. I think we're all probably struggling with, with finding talent in that space. You said something really interesting there. Do you think that the news cycle drives a lot of employee behavior? Because you got to be curious because you're like, look, they're hearing about cyber attacks. They're hearing about this. And that's the, that's sort of like the new Gen C class. That's a lot of where their interest seems to be in supply chain. That's a really interesting trend to point out. Yeah. Yeah. No, for, for sure. And it's, it's great to see. I mean, when we post those types of positions, we definitely get an abundance of people that are applying for that. So it's, it's kind of great to see that that shift um, in recruiting with some of some of those positions in the industry that we really haven't seen before or had a focus on recruiting for in the past. 
do you expect to see, like, what trends do you expect to see in 2024? Do you expect to see that continue? Do you expect to see things, like, normalize within the market, which would, I imagine, would make for a more normal hiring market as well? Yeah. You know, I think we all, we've all talked about the aging workforce. That's not, that's just not applicable to logistics, right? I think, I think that's every workforce out there. I know in, in the transport space, I think the average age is 43, at least for, for North America. For our company, I mean, we definitely still have a very large population of baby boomers, which, which is great that they're still in the workforce, but we need that opportunity to start to transfer that knowledge to some of our younger workforce. And I think all of us, a lot of times are out there buying talent, right? Stealing from one another in the industry. And, and we have to get that opportunity where, how are we starting to develop people kind of from the ground up and getting in those entry level people to take on opportunities? How do you uh, build, I, think, I was just going to follow up and say, how do you build a workforce from the ground up, especially when you, you want to nurture those younger, like those younger minds, and, but you're seeing turnover in Gen Z. What's like, what's your strategy? Yeah. Uh, well, I think talking to your internal people that actually want to develop is, is first and foremost, right? How are you having those career development conversations with the people within your organization that do want to develop? And how do you work with them on creating those development paths um, so they can have those experiences and exposures within the organization? Um, the other thing, which, which what we're doing is doubling down on internships and early career development opportunities. So, how do you go out and partner with those universities, those schools, provide those entry-level opportunities, give those students a chance to really see how cool freight forwarding is and what are we doing in the industry um, and have them have an opportunity to really decide, right, is this an industry for them? Is this a career path that they want to take? Um, and really move them around the organization to have those types of experiences. So. Um, I think you'll see more of that and having companies really handle uh, recruiting right at, at local colleges and universities and then providing those training programs, building a culture around it um, where we have that mentorship from some of your, your older generation that might be looking to get out of the industry um, and how do we transfer that knowledge to new people coming in. What do you see as the benefit of building this skilled? I mean, it sounds kind of obvious, but what do you think the real benefit is? I'm curious, the HR perspective here. Yeah, well, I, I think it helps with your overall brand, right? When you go out there and you have a new generation that's kind of coming into the workforce, um, they become your brand ambassadors, right? They're, they're the new generation that's out there talking about how great it is to, to work at your, your company. Um, I think the obvious benefit is we need an investment of people, right? We don't, um, at least, you know, in our space, I mean, we, we don't own trucks, we don't own airplanes, right? We, we have people that are delivering for our customers. So having that investment in our people um, and creating those development opportunities internally for individuals to move up is, is obviously the benefit for us as a company. Angela, thank you so much. How do people reach out and learn more about AIT? visit our website at uh, careers.aitworldwide.com. Very, very cool. Thank you so much for stopping by the show today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. All right. Now, I've shown these like semi-truck pontoons a number of times on the show, but our friends over at Truck Parking Club, uh, Hunter over there, finally got to take a tour of one. So elsewhere, let's take a look at one of these pontoon boots. Okay, guys, it's Hunter with truckparkingclub.com. And this ain't your average semi. It is a semi boat and it is loaded with speakers, a 200 Yamaha, and it is big rig ready for the water. It's got some jams all around. This guy supports single moms on the water and on the shore. Under the hood, he's got a bunch of subwoofers. Ooh. And I love that the price of cool ain't cheap. Definitely not. How much does it cost, Hunter? gear up here in the cab. Hydraulic lift hood. And it is a Peterbilt cab. This thing is ready to rock. You see when this I... rig coming up the lake, guys? 
be sure and say howdy ho. So when they post this, when Truck Park, you can drop this video, when Truck Parking Club posted this video, I, I had to blow up Evan's phone and be like, hey, man, and, and Hunter's phone. I was like, guys, you got you to bring me out on the, the pontoon. They said they will. By the way, if you need truck parking out there, go check out truckparkingclub.com. We know it's a big problem. They uh, provide spaces for you drivers out there. But now let's talk about manatees. I got some great guests on today. I got Joe Calaby from DHL and Becky Ellsworth from the Columbus Zoo. It's my honor to welcome the both of you to the show today. Welcome on this Friday the 13th. Good to be hey, here. thanks, Tim. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Hi, Becky. Manatees, so, so cool. I love the names. I love the press release. I love everything about the project. But let's start with the Columbus Zoo here. What's going on with manatees that we have to get the logistics industry involved to move them around to rehabilitate them? So the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium is part of what's called the Manatee Rescue and Rehabilitation Partnership. And that is a group of a lot of um, zoos and aquariums, um, private industries, there are scientists involved in that, um, as well as, you know, researchers from all over the place. And we're all sort of work together to give manatees that second chance to bring in manatees for rehabilitation, get them healthy again, and then release them back into the wild. So about every year or so, we have manatees that need to be released. Joe, is this the most interesting, I hate to call it manatee freight because it's a living creature and animal, but is this the most interesting thing that you've moved? You know, uh, we, we have had some interesting moves over the years. We've moved Christmas trees to Afghanistan for the troops and we've done, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals for, for COVID and some other things. But, uh, yeah, the, the animal moves always make it, uh, interesting. It's, uh, it's not a box, you know, people like, Hey, it's a, it's, it's not a package. It's living and breathing and it's complex. And, um, but they're a lot of fun to move. Um, it's been a great partnership with the zoos and, uh, DHL has been, been real happy to participate in it. And you can see some of the videos or the pictures there of, of the move itself. But, uh, yeah, Becky and I've been working together for quite some time now and, uh, it's a great program. Becky, how do you select a partner for a program like this? You've got incredibly delicate cargo. Obviously, you want to make sure that they're safe and sound and they get where they need to be. And I imagine, you know, for most people, the, your first thought is, how do I even ship a manatee? How do, how do you pick a partner on something like this? Well, um, with manatees in particular, you know, the, the biggest thing that, that we think of is we need size. You know, we need something big enough. Um, and we needed to get down to Florida in a in a quick fashion. So taking them um, by truck all the way from Columbus, Ohio to Orlando or somewhere farther just wouldn't work. Um, so, of course, we know that planes and we've been working with DHL for, for so long and really it all boils down to good communication. Um, Joe and I have each other on cell phone. We have for years. Um, we know each other very well. Um, at this point, he knows exactly what we need, um, but we have such good open and clear communication about exactly what we need for these animals to get them safely from one point to another. And that's really the most important part. Joe, what is, what's the logistics of something like this? We saw that airplane. It looked like there was a customer unique container that you even have to fly them in. What goes into a project like this? Yes. Yeah, so um, this, this last move that we just did, um, was probably one of our, our more complex. Um, there was eight manatees being removed uh, from from Columbus and Cincinnati, going back to the wild in Florida. And, and the containers themselves, the zoos, uh, make those specifications against the, uh, the TSA requirements. Um, Becky could probably speak to them a little more, but uh, they're, they're, uh, most of them are fiberglass. They have a, an eight-inch pad uh, to make the manatees comfortable in them. Um, the, the big challenge really with the crates is the size. Um, so, so if you could imagine these are, these crates are 125 inches long. One of them we had was 151 inches long. So you're talking, you know, 10, 12 feet long, uh, containers that have to move. And with eight of them on this last move, uh, you know, it's, it's critical that we get a lot of details, uh, coordination and everything, uh, to make sure the manatees move, uh, most importantly, safe. Um, and then, and then as Becky indicated, uh, it, with a, with some speed. So, um, it's, it's been great. Um, this past move, uh, required a lot of coordination, uh, for weight and balance. So for those people not familiar with, a uh, an aircraft. So, and one other misnomer, just real quick, the manatees actually don't move in water. Um, you know, they, they're in the crate itself. Um, 
and and it's up to the the zoo and the handlers and the vets um, to to keep them moist. Um, we allow the handler and the the veterinarian once they get above ten thousand feet. Um, it's it's like uh, you know the stewardess coming back and checking on the passengers. It's it's the same, right? They go back, uh, check on the manatees, see how they're doing, making sure they're comfortable, and uh, we allow them to do that once they, they like I said, get above ten thousand. Oh wow! So Becky, you, you know your team gets to be like a manatee flight attendant of sorts up there. How do these manatees like to travel? He see, he said you know a little bit more. Like what what water temperatures did they need? What kind of what kind of conditions do you got to make sure that they're they're kept in? Yeah. So as Joe mentioned, they're they're actually transported in something called a whale box. So it is a fiberglass or a wooden box that's custom made just for manatees. It's it's lined with foam. We have a company that. Um, actually uh, designed the foam for us and fit really well into the crates. And they're just kept wet. So we keep sprayers on them and keep spraying them down. Um, We keep a nice warm temperature in there because they're used to being, you know, 75, 78 degrees. So we keep it nice and warm for them. Um, We monitor them, make sure they're taking um, breaths regularly, um, make sure that, that they're doing well. And honestly, these are some of the best animals that I've ever transported. They often just roll over and fall asleep. Um, It's amazing how acclimated they are to different environments and they're really comfortable in those boxes and they just sort of fall asleep. There's a few exceptions that uh, kind of flop around, but um, yeah, most of them just fall asleep. And there was, so what was there, eight of them that you had? How many went to your zoo and what was the move? You went from where to where? Yeah, so us and the Cincinnati Zoo um, also are part of this manatee um, rescue and rehabilitation partnership. So we moved five manatees in Columbus. Um, Cincinnati moved three. So eight of them went from Cincinnati, Ohio, DHL, all the way down um, to Orlando. And then coming back up, we brought up um, other manatees that were just starting their rehabilitation, that were um, young, young animals that... um, needed to come in um, to gain some weight and to um, get healthy enough to go back into the wild. So we brought back five animals. Interesting. Joe, how do you pick a team for this? How do you look around DHL and you go, all right, we got a manatee job, boys? You know, one of the things, uh, the great things at DHL is we've got a lot of uh, senior people. Um, I've been with the company 35 years and a lot of the names that, that are involved with these moves have uh, been with the company as, as long as I have or, or 20 plus years. So um, there is a select group that we uh, rely on um, and we have a checklist basically as far as equipment, what's needed. We want to make sure that everything's in order. Uh, as, as Becky alluded, uh, we, briefed, uh, we briefed the crew of the airline in regards to the temperatures. Um, we make sure that they, they know to give them access uh, to the manatees in flight. Um, one of the other critical things really is the weight and balance, right? So um, if anybody's familiar with an aircraft, uh, you know, it, it has a, a teetering point. So you have to make sure that uh, that's all checked. Um, you know, these things are large. Uh, the crates are large. And, um, you know, so we've got a lot of checks and balances in place. And fortunately for us, we have a very seasoned team. And uh, we've done quite well over the last 20 years moving the manatees. Becky, I asked uh, I asked my my followers who they what they thought the best name for these manatees were for for those of you who haven't heard them the the manatee group uh, they sent this great list and uh, they're all like people are curious how much they weigh I think they're all around like two hundred and eighty seven to three hundred ish pounds but there were some great names here you had Carty Mary Kate Ashley Squirrel Lizzie Picolina uh, Solil Calliope Mister Doback Nighthawk Nolia Waffles and Amethyst my network was big on Carty but me personally I like Waffles have have you met these men like what is their behavior like they seem like the most docile animals on earth um they can be but the ones I'll tell you the ones that we send back down to Florida that are ready for release they are big, strong, healthy animals. So those are the ones that um, give uh, Joe's crew the, the biggest, uh, I wouldn't say hassle, but they're the ones that are moving around the most. Um, Mary Kate was flopping around so much that um, actually the folks at DHL, they knew her name right away. They, they okay. caught on to who that was right away. Um, but um, the bigger ones that we have that are that we send down, I think our largest animal was a thousand pounds. So um, the smaller ones, yes, two to three hundred. But the ones we send down are 
closer to 800 to 1,000 pounds. Wow. Joe, you know, it's never a good sign in, in freight when you know, like, the names of the things inside the box. It usually means they're, they're a little bit of a problem. What is, what, what's something that, that, that working on projects like this, what, what kind of blows your mind, Joe? I know you've been doing this for 35 years. You might be a little bit jaded, but it's obviously a cool project. Oh, it, it, it's a fabulous project. And uh, just being able to, to learn so much about the animals themselves and interact with the zoos and, and, uh, in Columbus and Cincinnati. But yeah, I mean, uh, the ones we've been moving the last few years really have, have been, uh, coming in, uh, to gain weight. Uh, but we've had previous manatees that we've moved that were injured by a boat, uh, maybe a crab trap or something like that. We actually moved, uh, one manatee weighed 3,200 pounds and, uh, interesting enough, his name was little Joe. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun to be involved with it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, for our folks, um, at DHL, you know, uh, it, it's exciting. And in the program itself, is just fantastic. Um, to be able to be a part of bringing these animals and sustaining their lives, uh, for the future is just a great project. Becky, what's the issue? Why do they need rehab? Are they getting hit by like boats in Florida? I, I've had some Florida friends and they're like, the managers are great, but they're slow and they're, they, they ride, they, they swim near the top of the water and they get hit by propellers a lot. Yeah. So manatees have no natural enemies. So what happens is quite a few things hit by boat um, is a big one. But lately, the past few years, it has been lack of food and especially lack of food in the wintertime. Um, there was an unusual mortality event the past couple of years where a large die-off of seagrasses happened. So we were just finding animals that were near starvation or orphaned calves that lost moms. Um, that seagrass is slowly coming back, but I think we'll see for the next couple of years still these starving animals that just need to come in to really bulk up and, and get that blubber layer so they can make it through the winters. And then what happens when they're in, they get to the zoo, they've, they've traveled all the way there, they have to, I imagine, decompress a little bit. What happens when they get to the zoo? You'd be surprised at how quickly they adapt. Um, we have a particular animal in our care that um, acts as a surrogate to our young ones. So Stubby is um, close to, you know, 2,800 pounds. And she goes over to them right away. She helps them make to the surface to take breaths. Um, she pushes them out and shows them where the lettuce is and they act like they have been there for, you know, years and years. They once they see the food, their their life is good. Wow. Wow. Are these is that I think that's Mary Kate right there. And Joe, you mentioned for the reverse logistics on these, the biggest thing you gotta be mindful is that weight, because as she mentioned, that you're talking about I, I was looking on like the roster. Uh, I was looking on the manifest and like they were only like two hundred two hundred and eighty pounds when they get in there. She said someone like Mary Kate might be three thousand. That reverse logistics, we're talking about boats, we're talking about trucks here. How many trucks do you have to use? Yeah, the trucks are coordinated with the zoos. Um, so in this in this case, we actually used uh, eight box trucks. So we timed those uh, really to arrive uh, for buildup. So we want to limit the amount of time that, uh, you know, obviously they're out of the water. So in this particular case, uh, there was eight trucks and, and uh, on the other end, uh, the same. So, you know, it, it varies every time. Um, you know, occasionally you'll have two possibly on the same truck, you know, if it's a smaller move, but um, yeah, I mean, the trucking piece is just a small part of, of that. So, and the, the zoos coordinate that themselves. Well, Becky, for the manatee stands out there, what should they know about these manatee programs and, and how can they help? How can they support them? Well, um, you can support manatees in a number of ways. But, um, you can go to your local zoo or aquarium, even if they don't have manatees, um, to learn about the oceans, to learn about what you can do to um, help lessen your impact on the earth. Um, but really get yourself, get, learn about them. Um, go to the Cincinnati Zoo and the Columbus Zoo website and go to the Manatee Rehabilitation um, and Rescue Partnership, the MRP website. Actually, all the names that you've just said, when these guys are released, um, we do track them for two years and we do put updates on that website so you can follow along and you can track the manatees and and see um, them successfully be into the wild. So it's a really fun way for people to be involved. Joe, anybody has unusual or wild freight that they want to bring to DHL? Who do I send them to? Well, I guess uh, typically that's me. So uh, <laughs> they they call me Dr. Doolittle. Um, 
my uh, my colleagues named me that, and they said that I do little, but uh, in 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 uh, tongue in cheek. But uh, but no, we've we've had a lot of challenging moves. Um, you know, for the military, we've done quite a bit over the years. Uh, but but the animals uh, in a program like this just fabulous. I take my kids to the zoo, and and as Becky said, it's about education, right, and teaching people uh, more about about the manatees and how we need to uh, make them sustain and. It's kind of cool. You go to the zoo. I've got a, a bunch of kids. I've got eight kids and 10 grandchildren. And we go over and visit the zoos and, and they do weigh-ins and they update the charts on how they're progressing on the weights and and, uh, and kind of see them how they progress. But most of the ones that they have, um, look, the goal is to get them back uh, to the wild, right? So um, they're not there long. So um, you can kind of see their progression over about a 12-month period. And, and um, it's just neat to see the changes in them and and how fast it happens. And it's just great to be a part of it. Eight kids. That's some logistics too. When you're not, you're not moving manatees, you got to move the families. I know the feeling and I've only got two kids. Becky, can people want to go to the Columbus zoo and aquarium? Can they go and see some of these animals that we talked about today? Yes, absolutely. Our um, stubby, our surrogate um, is here and we have two new Mr. Doback and Nighthawk. They are here they are small manatees they um are doing really well so come on over and see them every day of the year you too thank you so much thank you for this wonderful project and thank you for telling uh, logistics world over here how this works because you know we got to be involved to make the manatees move thank thanks you for tim thanks us. for having us thank you guys have a great weekend take care all right did you know that ait worldwide logistics has been recognized as a top performer by cranes forbes inbound logistics transport topics and yes even freight waves they're on our freight tech 100 list boost your job satisfaction regain a sense of purpose and open your career opportunities one of the fastest growing organizations in the industry visit the career section over at aitworldwide.com to learn more and apply today and as you heard from angela they're building a team over there so you're at flexport looking for a new job today maybe ait is where you need to go then again thinking about all you 20% of you out there. By the way, talking about moving cool freight and cool projects, look at this from Break Toil. Let's right to strap work here. These are rocket engines that have nearly arrived to their new home at the California Science Center. These rockets will be part of the future vertical display of Endeavor at the upcoming Samuel Ocean Air and Space Center. My buddy uh, Nathan Strang and Mike Bush, they said they love the uh, they love the rocket over there, and they are standing it up, but they like that it's down right now because you can get a little bit more up close and personal. They're saying they hope when they stand it up, you still get um, that intimate feeling. But in terms of far strap work goes, that looks fantastic. Let's talk to Justin Clark right now. He's the founder and CEO over at F-Staff, and he's got like a government seal behind him or something. you got like presidential seal. What's going on, Justin? Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. I'm, I'm really excited to be on What the Truck. I follow you guys online. You guys have one of the best uh, podcast episodes for the industry, and I'm really excited to be here today. You ever uh, move any manatees before? You know what? No, we have not, but I'd be happy to help out. If they're ever short of drivers, uh, F-Staff on-demand truckers would be happy to step up to the plate and ship some manatees. That was a really interesting story. Yeah, well, I mean, they may have to go for their CDL exam after the, the rehab program, not, not before, but it's really cool how they're... Where, why, where are you out of, by the way? Where are you based? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a native and uh, based out of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we're getting into our, our beautiful weather season. Obviously, uh, we're doing a lot of travel around the country talking about on-demand truckers and what we're doing. And uh, we're, we're really blessed to have beautiful weather in Phoenix. So if you ever uh, get too cold to the winter, just come see us. We've got plenty of spots to put you up over here. Well, you wrote, I'm on a mission to change the way carriers find and hire CDL truck drivers. Let's start there. What changes do you want to make and how do you execute upon that? Sure. So, uh, first of all, I'll talk a little bit about kind of how we got here. So, at, at 19 years old, um, I was uh, a broke college student trying to uh, do everything all at once, right? And so, uh, uh, that was pretty impossible for me to achieve the things that I wanted to do. And mostly, I really just wanted to be in business. So, um, at uh, 19, I was struggling college student uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in the future. I was really struggling just to make ends meet. And my mom was working for a driver staffing company in Phoenix. And he always promised that if I needed something, I could reach out and, and uh, he would be there to help. Uh, I did call. Um, he uh, uh, unfortunately wasn't able to help. Um, I sort of you know, was upset at the time trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And so I decided that the best uh, way forward was me to just to compete in business. And so I started the company at 19 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. 
I say uh, after 22 years, I pretty much don't really know what I'm doing still, but I'm really excited about uh, what we have to offer. So what we've learned really in this uh, 22 year history of providing CDL truck drivers to the supply chain industries is that um, things are broken. Um, things are too slow. Things need to be a lot faster and more efficient. And especially with, you know, kind of the future of supply chain and how fast things are moving, things need to transition to an on-demand environment. So what we've learned really is that staffing agencies suck. Um, the future is on-demand and we want to be able to provide that environment so that carriers can order drivers at the speed that they need them, right? So uh, today, a CDL holder really only has three options. You can go out and get your own truck, become an owner-operator, you know, and, uh, and run your own freight. You can become a company driver um, and work, you know, the hours that the company wants you to work and limit your, um, you know, what you can do there. Uh, or you can go work for a staffing agency and be limited on the job opportunities that they give you. Or now that FSF On Demand is here, you have a fourth option where CDL holders can actually empower themselves, get all the work that they want, as much work as they want. They get to choose the shifts that they pick. Uh, carriers put jobs um, you know, on demand on the app and uh, drivers are seeing them in real time, accepting the work in real time and getting as much work as they want. So that's really the future that FSF On Demand is providing to the driver community. Justin, let me ask you, you're a 19-year-old, it's uh, the early aughts, you're walking around, you're like, damn, I'm broke, damn, I don't know what to do with my life. Why were you, like, why were you thinking of doing driver staffing anyway? Why does a 19-year-old think about that? So, really, I, I had uh, not a lot of vision for business. I always was passionate about business. So, it, uh, as, a, as a kid, I, I learned about selling candy in middle school, and I uh, learned about supply and demand. Um, later in high school, I... Uh, held soda parties and um, learned how to market events correctly. And so I really, and then I was surrounded by business people. My, my, you know, all my grandparents were in business in different uh, industries on their own. And so I always knew that you could do something on your own. The, uh, the model of the driver staffing really came from the place where my mom was working. Right. So I, I learned a lot about that model growing up. Um, it's a people-based business. I love people. And uh, it seemed pretty easy for me to really just help match drivers to the right jobs that they were looking for. I thought I could do a good job at that. And, um, you know, 22 years later, we're still in business, still kicking butt. And we've uh, helped thousands of drivers find the work that they're looking for. So we're really proud of what we've been able to do. But uh, honestly, you know, I, I, uh, I owe my vision to really uh, the prior staffing industry that kind of created that in the beginning. Um, you know, I wasn't the creator of the staffing industry but we are the creator of the on-demand tech we're the only staffing agency uh, today that has a true two-sided marketplace allowing for an employer to put a job into the system and allowing for the workers to accept those jobs in real time we're the only uh only staffing operation um, in the country that's doing that today that's really interesting so well how does it work like what is the f staff experience i'm a driver i'm hearing this i go to f staff's website what what happens Sure. Yeah. So you can uh, you can you know complete an application 100% online. Um, Everything is digital, so you can be in any city around the country and become an F staff driver within about a week. Uh, driver would do an application. We do the background screen investigation. We do all of the uh, really really difficult work as fast as we can to get drivers uh, ready to be able to be employed by our clients. So we've got some uh, heavy compliance duties that we uh, that we handle for our carriers and just making sure that all of the data management's all up to speed. But a driver comes on and it's a really simple process. I mean, really, uh, they can speak to our amazing family of workers here. But if a driver wants to come all the way through the system without even speaking with uh, somebody at FSAF, they certainly can. Uh, you can, you know, uh, apply. Uh, once you get approved, you get uh, access to the app where you can start to see jobs that you want to uh, potentially engage with. And then when you find the jobs that you want, you can just raise your hand, say, I'm, I'm here to take this job. Uh, client's going to get all the information about you. And um, uh, you, on, the system is, is designed to capture time uh, completely. So you, drivers clock in, clock out using the system. They can actually get paid daily uh, if they choose to. Um, the system is just designed to get drivers the work that they want and the pay as fast as possible. So you say on demand. So is this almost like gig work driving or is this long term? What, what kind of placements happen through your system? Yeah, actually a little bit of both, but all of our drivers are W-2. So in, instead of the 1099 gig work environment, all of the drivers are employed with FSAF. They get um, healthcare benefits. They get, um, you know, just amazing company-wide benefits that you normally wouldn't get just as a traditional gig worker for Uber Freight or something like that, right? So our drivers are company drivers, and um, 
they're treated as part of our family of workers, right? We do as much as we can to make sure that we really build up the community. So it's not really a separation. We, we, we try to engage and involve with our drivers as much as we can. So if I'm a driver and I, and I think my only opportunities are to be an owner-operator or to be a company driver for a fleet, what is the pitch on working for a staffing company, like the, the alternative? I know that there's drivers out there who've never even considered such a thing. Exactly. So, you know, first of all, flexibility is huge for truck drivers, I think. Um, and when you're an owner-operator or a company driver, you don't have the flexibility to really just shut off the truck and be with your family when you want to. Uh, when you're working for F-Staff On Demand, you get to choose the opportunities that you want. So the types of jobs that you could find in the system are anywhere between a job for you know a few hours for the day or full-time work with um, you know specialized carriers are looking for somebody with your type of experience. So we do have a, a mixture of different opportunities through the system. And so really, we try to bring the community everything that they possibly could want. And uh, we listen to our drivers and we try to go out to the community to find the jobs that aren't there today. So um, really, it's a, a driver can can become an F-staff driver. They can um, work, you know, a max out week, you know, completing 70 hours in this week and max out their hours of service. And then next week, if they want to go fishing more and hang out with the grandkids, they can you know turn it down and, and work a day or none. Right. So it's really full flexibility without having that, you know, um, uh, accountability over your shoulder saying like, I can't believe you're not going to be at work today. Right. Well, I have other things to do and, and I want to do those things instead. So we want to give the driver community the flexibility to live their lives, how they want to live their lives instead of how somebody else thinks that they should. And how are you getting them loads? Is this off like the spot market? Do you have contracts with the different shippers and carriers? How does that side of your business mm -hmm. work? Yeah, we, we have, we have a lot of contracts with large carriers. So we do a lot of work in the third party logistics space and private fleets that need drivers for seasonal coverage and or also just for their general growth, um, you know, for their businesses. Uh, so, uh, we work with a bunch of different carriers. Um, and, you know, I think that's the, the one of the really good things about the system is that you have so many different types of opportunities. So if you're a flatbed driver, you're going to find plenty of flatbed opportunities for you, whether it's, you know, in lumber or steel or specialized or low deck, something different, right? Uh, we really try to bring all of the opportunities that drivers could potentially want. Um, and the area I would say we probably don't do a ton in is just that general truckload. Um, it's going to be, you know, uh, cross country. That's not as specialized um, as, most of our drivers are generally doing. So most of the stuff that we do is just going to be everything except for large truckload. Is there a lot of demand right now? We cover the, the general freight market all the time on here. It's been very dead. Rates have been very depressed. How do you keep your drivers moving, especially in a market like this? Sure. So, you know, there are certain things in the community that just, they have to happen, right? I mean, if you're growing watermelons as a farm, you're going to pull those watermelons, right? And you're going to still need truckers to be able to uh, help you in that. So the general freight markets is soft, um, a lot softer than it has been over the last couple of years. But uh, the, the, you know, the local freight market, you know, including, you know, food and consumables and things that people need to live their lives are continuing to move, right? So we haven't seen too much of a down cycle. And in our, in our industry, or our niche of what we provide, we're actually seeing gains because customers or carriers are starting to understand how much value the on-demand, uh, staffing operation provides to them and being able to hire drivers on demand as fast as they need to um, and reducing things like, you know, hiring an owner operator to haul a load instead of and sitting your truck in the yard. And so it, with with our partnerships with our carriers, they're able to leverage that labor that they generally wouldn't have access to and still, you know, move their truck instead of keeping their truck uh, that they pay for sitting in their yard and hiring another company to do the work. What's the most interesting thing you've learned about trucking in the past uh, 20, 22 years? Oh gosh, um, it's always changing, you know. And I and people hear that, you know. I, I'll hear people in the industry talk about change. Is this of a bad thing? And I I I think change is constant, and change is a great thing. Um, supply chain needs more innovation, um, and that's what we're hopefully being able to provide the industry. I think that you know some of our other friends are doing some interesting things with blockchain in the future, and and being able to bring you know, uh, people together instead of separate, you know, um, operations. I, that's what we're after. We want things to become more efficient. You know, if we can help our customers save money, if we can help our employees make more money, I think we're doing a good job. 
Justin, you posted uh, one of my favorite trucking stories of the year. It came out of uh, New Zealand. There was a lonely eight-year-old boy who, um, he, for some reason, he was obsessed with trucks, big rigs. I mean, not some reason. They're cool, you know? Kids like to do the, the arm with the horn and everything. This eight-year-old boy in New Zealand, he really wanted some trucks. He's lonely on his birthday. His mother, Katherine Johnson, she put out a post on Facebook. She said she'd pay any truck driver $50 just to show up. She was like, yeah, no one's going to show up. Forty truck drivers showed up. They didn't even want the money. They let the kid ride around in his truck. They honked their horns to him. That's my favorite story I've read so far this year. What's yours? It, that's, it is one of mine, too, because we love truckers. I tell people, truckers drive everything. Everything we need is hauled by a trucker. But in this case, too, even joy is hauled by a trucker to bring to this boy, right? And uh, I'm a big believer in kindness. I think that it's one of the special things that keeps our communities going. And so the fact that she just put out a request and was able to get that many drivers to show up for her son, that's an amazing story. And I do tell people all the time, when you're broke down on the side of the road, when you need something... A trucker's going to be the first one that's going to stop, right? Everybody else is too busy to do something. And, and it's funny because this truck driver has sensitive freight that he's got to get delivered, but he's still going to be the one to stop and make sure that you're okay. So I absolutely love truck drivers. Um, that's you know one of my little things here. You know, again, truckers drive everything. That's a oh, huge, wow. huge thing for us. And um, we love these guys. You had, a, you had a little cool event too. You were at a trucker rodeo. Before I let you go, what was that all about? I saw some of the images online. It looked pretty neat. So uh, actually, trucker rodeos are great uh, uh, for years. I don't know if you know, every state um, across the country generally has a truck driver championship, right? Yeah. And so when you're, when, you're, uh, when you're at these events, I actually used to chair the Arizona Truck Driver Championship for a few years. And I love being around the drivers that are the best in the industry, right? You can really see how, how professional, how um, just skilled the drivers are. So um, I, I, I like to be around events. I like to be around big trucks, um, just like the eight-year-old you just mentioned. I mean, I was growing up uh, in a small town called Litchfield Park, Arizona, and we had these big, long CB radios that would reach all the way to the trucks on I-10. And my brother and I used to love getting on these CBs, hearing this truckers chatter, just listening to what they were saying. And every now and then we would uh, probably try to join in and say something and then turn off the radios because we seriously <laughs> thought they could probably come find out where we were. Um, you know, so... I, I've always been just in love with trucks, in love with drivers, and uh, I'm I'm just blessed that I get to do this every single day. It doesn't ever feel like work whenever you get to do the stuff that you love. Did did you did you and your brother have a CB handle when you were uh, when you were trolling the drivers on the you CB? <laughs> I don't think we did have a. I could. I definitely come up with one now. You know what I mean, or something on, on the fly. I, mean, I don't know. Uh, it was identical twins, maybe like twin truckers or something like that. Would probably be what we would have gone with. You know. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The double haulers. I love it, man. Well, how do people learn more about F-Staff? Uh, right after you leave here, I'm going to talk about uh, not just the – we had Flexport shutdowns to start. We had trucking companies shutting down after I let you off here. Drivers, they need jobs. Where do I send them to? Yeah, it's really easy. Go to fstaff.com. They can start there. They can start the application right online. If they do have any questions, we have a whole family of workers uh, set up for staff that will answer any questions that, are, that, that come up. But absolutely, we want to encourage as many drivers to find us as possible. And because as many drivers as we find, we, we don't have an issue finding the opportunities for the drivers. That's not been our problem. Our problem is really just making sure all the drivers know that F-Staff exists and to come here to find jobs on demand. So appreciate you helping us share the story. Happy to, Justin. Thank you. And, uh, you know, call up your brother on the CB for me and tell him I said hi, too. All right, brother. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care. All right, everybody. It's Friday, so let's hit a little good news, bad news. Hope they're okay. All right, we're, this is only bad news. This is only bad news. Truckers, shuttered Sunset Logistics still owes final paychecks and escrow. Clarissa Haas reports company drivers say they haven't been paid for two weeks from this company, Sunset Logistics. Well, motor carriers that hauled freight through the company's brokerage claim they are owed thousands of dollars. And here's the bad part. Nobody over there is picking up the phone. One truck driver even told FreightWaves he was stranded. We hate to hear this. He was stranded in North Dakota without a working uh, fuel card. Couldn't get in touch with anybody. There's a driver who lives in Texas that it took nearly two weeks to find another trucking company that would hire him. 
I don't know, maybe F-Staff has something for you, but the hits just keep on coming. It's not just Sunset. There's also a 40-year-old Montana trucking company, Clarissa Haas, post about as well. They shut down operations. It's Meadowlank Transport of Billings, Montana. They had 273 drivers and 337 power units at the time of closure, according to the Safer website. It's unclear why the 40-year-old company shut the doors. However, some motor carriers that hauled broker loads for Meadowlark claim they have been fighting to get paid for months, risk exposure out there, terms are changing. It's getting bad. In fact, Kevin Rutherford even put, owner offers drivers, it's getting ugly. Are you protected for being stranded on the road? Do you have a plan? Do you have cash? And he brings up a good point. Do you have a bug out bag in case something goes wrong, in case you get fired, in case you get shut down, in case the fuel cart starts working, in case you have to leave at a moment's notice, in case... I mean, what, didn't they say today was a global day of jihad or something like that? I hope nothing crazy has been going on while we're on, on air, but something happened. Society is getting crazy. Make sure you can take care of yourself. You can walk away from that truck. God be it for God forgive you, be your uh, carrier shutting down or, or anything. So get on top of that. Unless you're this driver, because I don't think this guy's going to get another job over here. Take a look at this driver, how he dealt with his tire and his fire hydrant. And you're, you're seeing this guy roll back, and his tire pops right off the side of it. Oh, no, I'm videoing it all. And he doesn't stop. He's still driving, y'all. Y'all, is he going to back into me? Is he like a reckless, like, what do you call it, driver? Or crazy truck driver or whatever the word is? Y'all, he's going to hit the hydrant. Y'all, he's going to hit the hydrant. He's fixing to hit the hydrant. He's fixing to hit the hydrant. He's just full send, like blind into the road, missing a wheel. Yeah, get him done. No idea what he's stuck on. Somebody call the police. Somebody call the police. I mean, you you could, lady. Maybe someone with you. Maybe the, maybe the owner is happy that you're documenting this. A lot of people online were like, why didn't she run in there and stop Somebody's this? Like, got to call. Social yeah. media is ruining everything. But like at the same time, are you going to go just and call real quick. use your body to stop this swift truck where you have no okay, idea he's what stopped. he's doing? He's done now. Now, this is one of the most confusing parts, though. I thought this was, like, just some angry, disgruntled driver, but he gets out at the end here, and he picks up the tire like, man, what just happened? Catherine Whitehouse said, wow, I would love to be a fly on the wall to hear that driver's view of what happened. Michael Gray says, I love how he goes against the tire. Like, what's your plan? Put it back on? That's what I'm curious about. If he was just, like, going nuts and, like, smashing the truck, I'd just think disgruntled. But I guess not. Parker Cheney said, it's the broker's fault. Always is. Justin Hoffman says, just when you thought the price of tank washes couldn't get any higher. Yeah, uh, that hydrant's going to cost a few bucks. Pat Roach said, this is someone who should not have a CDL. Pat, I got to agree with you there. And Joseph Meaton says, joining LinkedIn, now I understand why everyone else seems to call out Swift and their drivers. Wow, man. Just wow. Although I think that's someone pulling a Swift trailer, not necessarily a Swift driver by looking at the cab of that truck. Brenton Dawson says, I wonder who gets the claim on this one. Matthew Leffler, bad day gets worse. PG said, this is easily the worst driving he has ever seen. I think it's up there. It's one of the worst ones we've definitely had on there. We do have some competition today, though. We always talk about train and rail safety, all those derailments, right? Wasn't it like three derailments happen a day in the U.S.? And for a while, people are like, is it conspiracies? People are hitting cars. Well, here's how a cop car interacted with the train tracks. Now, this video isn't, roll this tape here. This video isn't new. This is a, a few years old, but people are always asking me for examples of this. So take a close look at the cop SUV. Do we have sound on this? Yeah, there we go. Take a close look at this cop SUV. So we're seeing the train clear, and you can see he has his flashers on. He's got to be somewhere, but he can't see the other side of the track. Oh, my God. He goes right across it, and he gets slammed by the semi-truck. KOAA5 says that a Midland County Sheriff's Office deputy in Texas is lucky to be alive, even though he appeared to be shaken up. He wasn't seriously injured after his train, after his uh, SUV was hit by that train. Yellowstone says Ash trying to pit a train. And uh, John Filson says he drove ahead in spite of the flashing signals in two-track crossing. Presumption of clear second track could have cost him his life. Status of cop is irrelevant in a situation like that. Yeah, that could have gone really, really bad. Now, it's the weekend. You might be parking your trucks. Don't forget to pre-check on Monday or this weekend before you take off because this can happen. This is great. They told me about this. This trailer here is being serviced. They've taken the tires, the wheels off. 
you know, working on the brakes or the hubs or something. So this thing was on jacks, all right? And some moron decided to hook to it and drive it away, even though it was up on jacks and it has no wheels on it. So as you can see, there's one jack right there. Knocked it right off. Unbelievable. What a dope. Who does this? There's the other jack back there. Knocked over. I mean, what a mess. I mean, honestly, this thing's getting a brake job done to it. These are brakes right here. You know, drums right here. And they just tried to drive this thing away. And there's all the tires. I guess they just couldn't tell that it, uh, it didn't have any wheels attached to it. EDI fixes that, and so does a pre-trip inspection. Joe Crossdock said he had a driver do that once. They delivered the rest of their freight with a handcart that day. Hey, everybody, thank you for joining us on What the Truck. We'll be back on Monday. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Duna. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find this show at FW What the Truck, wherever you, we're uh, on X. <laughs> you can look up What the Truck wherever you get your audio podcast. And if you want this on video, go to FreightWaves YouTube channel's entire playlist of What the Truck videos. This episode 640, by the way. Take care. Have a great weekend. Don't be a stranger.